Good morning, Grace Hill. How's everyone this morning? Good. It's good to see all of you, um, and uh, just glad to worship uh, with all of you this morning. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, so if this is your first time, I just want to welcome you. Really glad you're here, and I'd love to be able to meet you after the service. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Um, We're going to be in Psalm chapter 11 together this morning. So uh, the Psalms in the middle of your Bible there, you'll find them in uh, chapter 11. So you are free to use your phone app if that's easiest for you, and we'll also have um, the words on the screen behind me, and we'll read from Psalm 11 in a few minutes. But this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series, Joy Over One, that we've been doing over the past several weeks. And this series is all about how there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And what we're saying is that we want to be a church that gets to celebrate along with heaven often because we're seeing people come to know Christ for the first time. So that's why we have challenged the whole church, all of us, to commit to finding one person, uh, one person who's here locally, who does not know Christ, that we will begin to pray for them uh, every single uh, day, that we'll invite them to church, that we'll commit to sharing the gospel with them. And so if this is your first Sunday with us, or if, you haven't, um, if you've missed a few of these uh, messages in this series, you know, I really encourage you to go online and you can listen to the series so far to kind of track along with where we're going. But if you've been around since we've been doing the series, my question for you is, who is your one? Have you identified that person yet? Have you taken this seriously? And spent time thinking through, God, who might you call me to commit to? Have you been praying for them? And praying that that God would soften their heart to the gospel? And have you been praying that God would sovereignly give you opportunities to speak of your faith, to invite them to church, to build a friendship or a relationship? Who is your one? Because this morning... I want us to talk about what's at stake for your one or for anyone who does not know Jesus. What's at stake if we don't take seriously the call on us from God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our one? But before I explain all that, I think we all need to agree on something. And that's this, every single one in this room, every human being on this planet, one of the things we all have in common is this, we all desire justice. We all desire justice. We all believe that justice is good, is right, and ought to be administered equally across all people. That, that no one should, should have some sort of in on what is just or not just or it being administered in an unequal way. No, we believe that justice should be administered equally. And, and I don't think that that is something that we need to debate or argue over or I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But just in case, I mean, think about this. On average, just think about this for a second. On average, one million children a year, are bought and sold as a commercial sex slave. 
where they will be abused every day, multiple times a day, with really no hope of escape and really no hope of justice for their abusers. And if that doesn't want to make you start burning some buildings down, right, right, I don't know what will. Like, because when you hear about that, you, just this cry for justice from our gut that someone would be able to have the power to go in and, and rescue those little kids or, or bring justice down. We desire justice. Or if you think about these dictators that rule over these oppressive countries like China and Saudi Arabia Syria and Iran and in some other countries, amongst many other countries. How do the peoples of these countries get justice? I mean, their dictators have an iron grip on their power. They have economic and military leverage over other countries like us, so we don't do anything about it. How do these people get justice? It's nauseating to think about it, that these dictators won't answer for their crimes. So we live in an evil world, a broken world where people suffer unthinkable injustice. And there doesn't seem to be a solution to the problem. How do we achieve complete justice across the globe? I mean, it's almost like world peace has become a, a laughable talking point and not an actual serious pursuit. Because how do we, how do we even achieve that? But it's easy to think about our desire and our need for justice when we think about these huge, heinous crimes like I just gave us. But I think we desire justice even in our own lives. This is why Yelp is so popular, right? I mean, if a company doesn't deliver to you what they promised or if you get bad service, you now have a way to get a little justice through a bad review online. Or if someone that we love or know, a friend, a family member, uh, is harsh with us, yells at us, offends us, that does something against us, we have a natural instinct towards desiring justice. And so we, you know, we do things like give the silent treatment or we're passive aggressive or actually aggressive. And that's kind of a way that we pursue justice. Because we have this instinct inside of us, you know, if we're lied to, if we're ripped off, that we need justice, that the person who has offended us has incurred a debt and justice is not served until that debt is paid. And so we have this instinct. It's a human instinct. But here's the problem. Justice is elusive. There's always injustice in the world. There are always different perspectives on what is just and unjust. There are people who manipulate the system. Deals are made. People turn a blind eye. Money gets involved. People use their power not to have to face justice. Justice is elusive in this world, and if you think about that too much, it's depressing. There's, there's nothing more frustrating than someone getting away with their injustice. I wanna tell you why that's the case. Why is justice elusive in this world? I think the Bible helps us to understand this. In, in Genesis chapter three, we read about the first sin committed by Adam and Eve. You might say this is the first act of injustice. 
Adam and Eve were living in the garden. This was paradise. God was ruling over them. He was their authority. He was the judge of what was good, what was evil, what was right and wrong. He was the judge of what was just and unjust. He took care of Adam and Eve. He was the perfect ruler. But see, the first sin in Genesis 3 was Adam and Eve's desire for the knowledge of good and evil. Their desire to be like God. They, they didn't want to submit to God as the one who had the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted that as well, right? So they wanted to be the judge of what was right and wrong. They wanted to be the judge of what was good and evil. They wanted to be the judge of what is just and unjust. So this was a treasonous act against God. It was unjust. They said, God, we don't want you to be the one to make those decisions for us. We want to have that authority and that right. And so here's what God did. He said, okay. He let them out of the garden. He kicked them out of the garden. And then he said, I'm going to let you go live your life believing the lie that you know how to handle the knowledge of good and evil. Believing the lie that you can be a good judge and that you will judge what is just and unjust rightly. I'm going to let you go believe that lie and live life. And so now, all of humanity, including us, right, we inherit this sin that we think that we're the judge of what is just and unjust and right and wrong. We inherit that sin. We commit this sin, right? We view ourselves as the one who can be judge of what is just and unjust. And so naturally, we do not submit to God for that. We do not submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. We claim that authority for ourselves. We are born in this way, right? We're, this is a default for us. And so therefore, we are born alienated from God. And here's what this means. What this means is that we have an entire planet of people that believe they are the judge of what is just and unjust. Seven billion judges and opinions on justice in this world. Proverbs 16.2 puts it this way, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. I'm the one who determines what is true and not true. I am the one who determines what is right or wrong. I am the judge of what is just and unjust. And maybe we don't say that up here, you know, cognitively. But in our subconscious, in our hearts, this is what we say. We have an entire planet of people who believe that they can never be wrong. That it is those people out in the world who deserve justice, but not me. Why? Because you can't judge me. You don't know my heart. You can't see into my motivation, so you can't judge me, but... I can judge them. And so injustice flourishes in the world because we have this massive human stalemate going on in this world where everyone thinks they're right in their own eyes. And when everyone thinks they're right in their own eyes, injustice flourishes. I mean, if you think about this, our entire justice system is built on the assumption that everyone thinks they're right in their own eyes and we need to protect ourselves against that. 
Right, so the, the job of the prosecutor is to prove that the accused is guilty because we assume they're right in their own eyes and so they're going to say they're not guilty. And the job of the defense attorney is to protect the accused from the justice system because we assume they're always right in their own eyes and we need to make sure that they don't cause someone to be guilty who's actually innocent. The entire system is built on the fact that everyone is right in their own eyes and therefore no one person can be trusted. And so the only way that true justice can be achieved in our world, just think about this for a second, the only way that we can have complete justice is if every single person, and it has to be everyone, has to be all seven billion of us, right? One person can ruin this. Every single person in this world stopped looking on the outside of themselves for injustice and started looking on the inside of themselves for injustice. Where, where everyone took responsibility for their part of the injustice in the world. But it has to be everybody. Where everyone didn't believe that they were always right, but began to wake up to the fact that there are many times we are wrong. got to be everybody, though. Our injustice will flourish. If you think about this, um, think about this in your marriage or in your household, your family. If you've got relationships in your family that are rough, or let's say your marriage is going through a tough time right now, that, that relationship is, is rough right now. If everyone in your household, or if the husband and the wife, or everyone there continues to point the finger at the other person as the problem, and they're the ones that need to change, and they're the ones that the problem is, and as long as they change, everything would be good. As long as that continues, the relationships will not heal. They just won't. But your relationships will begin to heal if everyone in that household, if both the husband and the wife together, or whatever relationship you're talking about, if everyone involved Stop pointing the finger at the other and began to point the finger at themselves and said, I'm gonna to begin to address the problems that I'm bringing to this marriage. That's when you begin to create a context where your marriage is gonna heal. When we stop pointing at the other and crying justice and we start pointing to ourselves. And it's the same for all society. Injustice will flourish because everyone is right in their own eyes and it's not until everyone's willing to point the finger at themselves where justice will begin to be realized. And here's the deal, that is a total pipe dream. When would that ever happen in this world? I mean, that's otherworldly. That, that idea, it's impossible because I just described the kingdom of God where God is king, he's ruler, he's the one that everyone looks to, everybody looks to as the good and right judge. He's the one that knows what's just and unjust. He's the one that knows what is good. He's the one who knows what is true, where everyone looks to him as the good and right judge. That's when justice is complete and it flourishes, where everyone lays down what they have tried to steal from God. And that is his right to be judged. That's the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want us all to understand this morning, based on all of this. And we're getting to Psalm 11, we're gonna get there. 
is this. We need divine judgment. We need divine judgment. And because I think we actually all desire justice, equal justice across the board, I think we all want divine judgment. We want a God who sees all, who does not allow one act of injustice to fall through the cracks, who will judge every single person according to the exact same standard with perfect equity and fairness. He can never be bought off. That those men who are enslaving those little girls and allowing them to be abused daily, multiple times a day, will one day meet the wrath of their creator who defends the oppressed. That those dictators who seem to be so powerful and no one can challenge them will one day stand powerless before an all-powerful God who will judge them. That all of us will stand before our creator and will be judged according to the exact same standard, no deals, as every single other person, perfect equity. I think we all desire this, and we definitely all need this. Our world needs this. We need God to step in and achieve justice for us because we can't do it. We have proven that we can't handle the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what the Bible says about God in Psalm 11. So if you have your Bible in Psalm 11, I want us to read this. This is a Psalm that was written by David. And David was in this place he was despairing because you can't escape the injustice in the world. And he was looking at the evil of the world and he was just like, what do I do? This is why David writes this Psalm. Look at what it says, verses one to three. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What David is lamenting here is there's injustice everywhere. You can't escape it. The foundations of justice have crumbled. What can we do about that? Verses four to seven. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. Look at this. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked. And those who love violence, let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright will see his face. David takes refuge in the fact that although it seems the foundations of justice seem to have crumbled in this world, the Lord has not lost control. He's on his throne, and he's watching. No act of injustice, 
No sin will go unnoticed by God. And those who have been declared guilty of sin and injustice will face the wrath of God. I mean, that's verse six. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let the scorching wind be the portion in their cup. That phrase, portion in their cup, means their destiny, their future. So here in this psalm, we see God as a judge, a good judge, a righteous judge who does not turn a blind eye to evil and injustice. And we should rejoice in the fact that God will bring perfect justice in this world. Uh, Two weeks ago, we read Psalm 96 together. We studied this psalm together. And it said this about God. Look at this, Psalm 96, 11 to 13. It says, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. This is a way of saying, let all of creation rejoice. Why? Let them rejoice, verse 13, before the Lord. Why? For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with faithfulness. And this judge will give everlasting life in God's kingdom to the righteous, and he will punish the wicked. It says, with fire and sulfur, by sending them to hell. That's a tough word for us to use, hell. It's a tough thing to talk about, it's a tough thing to preach on. The reality is, though, we learn more about hell and what it is from Jesus more than anybody else in our Bibles. Look at what he said about this. This is what Jesus says about the judgment of God in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. It says this, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. In the end, the earth will be judged and justice will prevail. And we learn from our scriptures that hell is a real place of eternal torment for those who have sinned against God. And Psalm 11, verse seven tells us that this is good and this is right. And so the the question is this, who is righteous and who is wicked? And the answer to that question is terrifying. Don't let your breath out yet. Psalm 14, verse two to three says this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. Verse three, all have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Everyone is right in their own eyes. 
Everyone desires to be the judge of what is just and unjudged and unjust, and we are all culpable in creating a world where injustice flourishes. I mean, if one could see the record of our inner thoughts and our deepest motivations and our hidden secrets, I don't think anyone would argue. We all deserve the judgment of God. And I think this is something that's just hard for us to stomach. Really? Every single person on the planet? Didn't we just talk about these people who have committed these heinous acts of violence and oppression? How in the world, God, are they worthy of the same judgment that you're saying I'm worthy of? How is that equal? And I know that runs through our heads when we talk about the judgment of God. We say, God, how is that fair? And the reality is this, questioning the judgment of God, when it comes to that, is reaching for the same fruit of the same tree as Adam and Eve. It's saying, God, listen, in my judgment, in my assessment, as I've taken this situation and I've run it through my authority as judge, I have made the judgment and the determination. My verdict is no, they deserve worse than I deserve. It's reaching for the same fruit of the same tree of Adam and Eve. And God says, you have all turned away from me. Sure, have some people committed more heinous acts of sin than others, but scripture says it doesn't matter. You've all turned away from me. And so here's, I want us to sit in this truth. It's very easy to preach a sermon and soften that up a little bit. So it doesn't punch us in the gut as much as we want it to punch us in the gut. But here's the thing. It has to punch us in the gut. We can't sugarcoat this because you cannot understand the gospel of Jesus Christ without this. You can't. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not the good news that we have to declare the world if this is not the bad news. We deserve the judgment of God and this is critical to understanding our faith because what it means is this, that my only hope, your only hope, the only hope of your one whom you have committed to is not themselves, it's not you. The only hope that they have is not that they can live a good life enough for God to make some good judgment on them. No, the only hope is mercy. We are a faith that believes in the grace and mercy of God, not our strength to impress God. That's not what we believe. And so we have to sit in this. You can't take divine judgment out of the Bible or you ruin the gospel. And so we have to understand our only hope is God's mercy that he would do something, not that we could do something. And this is Ephesians 2, 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love that he has loved for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were 
guilty of sin in his presence, unworthy to be with him. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved, right? In God's great mercy, he made a way to cast his judgment upon our sin that did not result in our destruction. Did you get that? He made a way to cast his judgment on our sin that did not result in our destruction. Jesus came, he bore our sins on his back, went to the cross so he could bear the wrath of God in our place. Every bit of divine judgment that you and I deserved was experienced, concentrated upon Jesus. He took our guilt. He took our shame. He took all of that debt that we have incurred through our injustice and our sinfulness and he put it straight into the grave. And then he rose again from the dead and he gives us new life, cleanses us from our sin, makes us righteous in the sight of God so we can be welcomed into the kingdom of God as those who have been determined as righteous, saved from the eternal punishment of hell into eternal reward in God's kingdom. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. See that? Just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is eager, he's eager to save people who will bend their knee to their creator, get on their knees in humility, confess, yes, I am a sinner that deserves the judgment of God, and they'll repent of their sin and receive his mercy. That's what God's eager to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to surrender to Christ. God is not looking for people who will impress him with their righteousness. He is looking for people who will finally admit that they are not right in their own eyes. Who will take the finger and stop pointing at others and begin to point at themselves and, and confess, I have a sinful heart. I deserve hell. And who will lay down before God and surrender to him, him is Lord, him is king, he is the judge of what is right and wrong, I'm not and receive his mercy. I mean, if you think about this for a second, just, just think about if someone you loved, spouse, a parent, like utterly betrayed you. So think about like if your spouse cheated on you or if you had a parent walk out on you or a friend of yours stole money from you or something like that, just betrayed you. And the way that that person tried to regain your trust was just by doing nice things for you. You know, they gave you a lot of compliments. They started to serve you and like do things for you, you know, mow your grass, bring you stuff, buy you gifts. They never acknowledged the betrayal. They never acknowledged the wrong that they did. But they just thought, if I'm nice enough, if I do enough good stuff for this person, then eventually they'll forget about all that and, and we'll be good again. We'll be reconciled. How would that make you feel? Would it work? 
If your spouse cheated on you and that's how they tried to make it up, never by acknowledging their wrong, but just by doing nice things for you, would that make it all better? No, I think we all know that would actually push the relationship further away. That's disingenuous. That's manipulative. Like, no, I'm not looking for you to do nice things for me. I'm looking for you to confess what you did. The hurt, the betrayal, to, to recognize that this was wrong. It wasn't okay. And then to seek my forgiveness and, and try and, and change. Well, guys, it's, it's the same thing with God. God's not looking for people who will just do enough good deeds. He's not looking for people who will just attend church enough. He's looking for people who will bend their knee before him in humility and say, I have sinned before you. I'm acknowledging it all. I don't deserve your mercy or your grace. I do not deserve a spot in your kingdom, but I need your forgiveness. And I'm trusting in Christ to have that forgiveness. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who are repentant. So remember our saying, the Bible tells us that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Not one sinner who just begins to live a good life. Not one sinner who all of a sudden decides to stop having sex before marriage. Not one sinner who all of a sudden is generous and gives a lot of money to the church. Or even a sinner who begins to go to church every Sunday. That's not what heaven rejoices over. They rejoice over one sinner who repents. Who bends their knee before God and receives his mercy and his grace and says, I have nothing to bring. The only claim I have is Jesus. And so I repent of my sin and God, you are now Lord of my life. That's what he's looking for. That's what heaven rejoices over. God is overjoyed to lavish his mercy and grace on those who will humble themselves and cry out for his mercy. But for those who do not humble themselves, even if it looks like they're living the Christian life, they will face the wrath of God. This is what's at stake for you. If you're here and you haven't been in your knee and trusted Christ, and received his mercy, and received his grace, and let him be the one to change you and forgive you. If you haven't done that, then it would be just and it would be right for God to judge you as wicked in his sight. But friend, mercy is available to you if you surrender to Christ. His grace is available to you the work of Jesus on the cross will be applied to you and you'll be righteous in his sight. And so will you surrender to him this morning? And this is what's at stake for your one. If your one has not surrendered to Christ and received his grace, they will go before the judgment of God and their sins will be on their own head instead of on the cross. And it will be just and it will be right for God to cast them into hell. But mercy is available for your one. Good news is available for your one. Jesus is eager to forgive. 
Will we deliver the message that mercy is available? Brothers and sisters, we need to be faithful. Let us be faithful to deliver this message of mercy and not be so self-centered to let our fear or our busyness to get in the way of that. And so who's your one? Will you warn them about the judgment of God? Will you proclaim to them the mercy that you have received in Christ? I, wanna, I just wanna take a minute right now and I just wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for your one and I just wanna pray that God would do something extraordinary through this church when it comes to proclaiming the message of his mercy to this town. So let me pray for that real quick and then we're gonna enjoy communion together, but pray with me. God, I, I pray right now over every single person in this room who has surrendered to you, every single person in this room who has bent their knee and repented of their sin and received your mercy and received your grace, Lord, I pray that right now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just give them a conviction that they cannot ignore. Give me a conviction, God, that I cannot ignore to deliver this message of mercy to those around me who do not know Christ. Lord, help us to understand what's at stake Lord, I know this message this morning has been heavy. It's been hard. But God, I pray, Lord, that in response to it, we would have a deeper appreciation that you would draw us into a more profound worship of you because, Lord, we know what we have been saved from. God, we surrender to you. We bend our knee to you, Lord. You are Lord of our life. So God, help us, Lord, to live a life at your command, to live a life under your authority, to live a life under your judgment, Lord, to live a life with you as our savior. And Lord, help us to know that there is joy in that life. Not, there's no joy in living a life apart from you. So God, I just pray for our ones, the people that we've committed to, Lord, would you get their hearts ready to hear the message of mercy? And God, I pray for every one of us in this room that, Lord, you would get our hearts ready to worship you through delivering that message of mercy. Oh, Lord, help us not to be indifferent to this. We ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen.